a wonderful time in worship this morning. Truly blessed to have those in our church, Pastor Ryan and his team, to lead us into worship. And what a joy it is to uh, tell God how we feel about him. This morning, uh, we're going to uh, once again look at the new series that we have called Be Encouraged. From the book, the Paul's small letter, uh, 2 Corinthians, written uh, about 60 A.D., and in this small book, we find so many amazing truths. Uh, Paul confirms, reaffirms his love for his church, and he wants them to know how much he loves them, and, and we're going to be talking about during these weeks. And also, uh, Paul wanted to make sure that the people at Corinth continued to be generous to others who were struggling in their finances. And then Paul also wants to be sure and talk to them about um, false prophets that were entering the church and how that the church needed to deal with them. All of these wonderful themes in 2 Corinthians are all under this canopy of be encouraged. God wants to encourage you so that you in turn can encourage others. Today's message comes with a backstory. Uh, the backstory is found in uh, the Old Testament in uh, Exodus chapter 34. And uh, you can read it on the screen if you have your iPhones, your iPods, or if you go old school like me, uh, we'd like you to turn there to Exodus 34. If you notice somebody next to you playing Angry Birds, it's okay to give them an elbow uh, because we are allowed to judge each other in the church, just not people outside the church. So uh, you can do that. So uh, we're going to look at this amazing text. And here, Moses, this is one of the uh, uh, texts that talks about Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments. And um, as you listen to these words, you will be uh, amazed at some of the truth that you hear in this text. So um, Gen Exodus 34, and we'll be looking at verses 27 to 35, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Exodus 34, hear the word of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, write down all these instructions, for they represent the terms of the covenant I am making with you and Israel. Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. In all that time, he ate no bread and drank no water. And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, on the stone tablets. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and the other leaders of the community to come over. And he talked with them. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he covered his face with a veil. But whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him, and the people of Israel would see the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak to the Lord. So the setting is 3,500 years ago. Moses had just successfully led the children of Israel 
out of Egypt after being in bondage for hundreds of years. Moses had been their champion. He had shown them how he had victory over Pharaoh and with the ten plagues. He had showed the parting of the Red Sea. He had showed them how to make, have manna in the wilderness, water, sweet water from a rock. And all of these things Moses led his people to. For two and a half months, they had been traveling through the valley of Negev, the Negev Desert. And for the past 40 days and nights, Moses had been on top of Mount Sinai waiting for God to speak and to reveal the Ten Commandments. As you know, from Exodus 20 and other passages, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. The same Moses who had had victory over the Pharaoh, who parted the Red Sea, and who was now on the mountaintop talking to the very presence of God, the burning bush, Shekinah glory. Finally, Moses comes down from the mountain, holding God's law in his hand, written on tablets of stone by the very finger of God, the text, the text says. His face is shining, literally radiating with unimaginable brilliance. People saw his face glowing, and they knew that he had been in the presence of God. They saw his face glowing, and they knew that he had been in the presence of God. So Moses gathers the people. He gives them God's law, the Ten Commandments. And the people just couldn't look at Moses' face. It was like this amazing sunburn that is so great, you can't even look at it. It's so red and so amazing. And so Moses, wanting to minister to his people and yet feeling that they couldn't look at him, the Bible says that he put on a veil to cover the glow, the aura, the magnificence, the brilliance of God's presence on him. Now follow this. Whenever Moses spoke to God, when he was in God's presence, he would take off the veil because it wasn't necessary. But whenever Moses spoke to the people, he would wear the veil. I mean, very cool, right? I mean, can you imagine walking down the street with this veil on everybody? Oh, there's Moses. And the glory, we couldn't even look at his face. So he had to, it's been kind of like Larry Fitzgerald walking to our church and say, oh, look at him. You know, oh, if only Pastor Dwayne had those kind of curls in his hair. And, and you say, oh man, just look. And that's what they did with Moses. Moses walking down the street. Now, later, the aura, the, the glow, the brilliance of being in the presence of God faded away. It was no longer there. But Moses continued wearing the veil. Now here's the point, and this is really important to hear this morning. The veil became more important than the glory of God. The veil became the thing that people would point to and say, oh, that must mean that he is really a powerful man of God, that he has God in him. That is the thing that matters. What I need when I grow up is I want a veil, and that will show everybody that I love God and that I'm connected to God. The veil began to replace the very glory and the brilliance of God in Moses' face. Now you can make your, you can connect the dots as, as, as Christ followers. How many times do we make the thing, the list of things that we do or we don't do, how often we read our Bible, how often we pray, how often we do good, religious, spiritual, Christian things, all of those things are good, but how often do we substitute, substitute those things for the brilliance of Christ within us. This morning we're going to contrast between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is about things external, 
things on the outside. God coming to us from the outside. The new covenant is about Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the brilliance of God shining from within us instead of the brilliance of God showing on us, showering on us. How often we do that in our days? We do it with legalism. We do it with works righteousness. We're always trying to figure out, well, if I do the list, people will recognize that I'm holy. People recognize that I'm good. People recognize that I'm godly. I go to church. I give my tithe. I do all the religious things that I'm told to do. And I hope people don't really see the real me. And we put this veil over us. And instead of having the glory of God shine from us, we cover it up and say, please look at what I do. Please look at how I, I, I do my Christian life. Please watch me and like me and notice me and see that I love God. Please see that from the way I live my life. God says the new covenant comes along so that the brilliance of Jesus, the life of Jesus that is within you, will shine from the inside out. So that was the backdrop to the text that we're going to read today. Now, our text, uh, Paul was afraid of uh, these men who had moved into the church in Corinth. They were Judaizers. Now, Judaizers were kind of a special category of people. Judaizers were people who, Jews, who were converted from Judaism to Christianity. Okay, so, so far, so good. But what Judaizers believed is that you needed Christ, faith in Christ, plus keeping the law. Christ plus, Paul tells us in Galatians, anything is heresy. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. We don't need anything else. But these Judaizers came into Jesus and said, Christ plus, make sure you keep the law, obey the Ten Commandments, and you do And really that, how, that verifies whether or not you're a child of God. So Paul was speaking to this a group of individuals moving into the church at Corinth, uh, proclaiming this Christ plus something means something. So I want to pick it up there in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Again, if you have your uh, devices or your Bibles, or you can read up on the screen, and we want to read to you uh, this amazing passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. The old way, Paul says, with laws etched in stone led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not bear to look at Moses' face. It began really fine. I mean, there was the presence of God on Moses' face. That was great, okay, at the beginning. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way? And the new way is not, the old covenant says, obey the law. Obey the law, and if you don't obey the law, you're toast, you're dead, okay? So you had the sacrificial system, you had all of that. The new covenant says, no, there is one who did obey the law, and only one, Jesus Christ. He did it on your behalf, and you don't need to receive God's blessing from on high. You can experience God's presence within you. Again, Colossians 3, Christ in me, the hope of glory. So that's what he's talking about. So we pick it up there. Um, verse 8, shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? The Holy Spirit in you is giving life, right? If the old way which brings condemnation was glorious, why did the old way bring condemnation? Because the old way pointed to the law. And no one could keep the law, therefore they were condemned by the law. If you can't keep the law, you're condemned by the law. Nobody could. So the old way brought condemnation. If that was glorious, right? 
How much more glorious is the new way or the new covenant which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if this old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? By this time, Paul is saying to the Corinthians, are you feeling me? (laughs) Do you get what I'm trying to say? The old way served a purpose, but the old way brings death. The new way brings life, and that life comes from Christ who lives within you. Verse 12, since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be bold. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory, even though it was destined to, be fa- to fade away. But the people's minds, listen, the people's minds were so hardened, they were so entrenched in this idea of the old covenant, the old way, and to this day, whenever the old covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds so they cannot understand the truth. The veil is the, in, in regard to the Old Covenant, the veil is that which represents something that is great. The law is that which represents something that is great, but is not the thing that is great. The veil was not the glory, and the Old Covenant is not God's plan for salvation. That's what he's saying here. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, verse 14, whenever Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds, so they cannot understand the truth. And this veil can be removed only by believing in Christ. This idea that we're saved by our works, this idea that we can obey the law so that God will like us, the only way that can be removed, that old veil, is by faith in Christ. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writings, their hearts are covered with that veil and they do not understand. Verse 16, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Isn't that beautiful? Whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's the verse that Pastor Brandon read as we began our worship today. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. How can you see and reflect the glory of the Lord if you're wearing a mask? How can you see and reflect the glory of the Lord if you're wearing a veil over your face? Remove that. The only way you remove that is by coming to know the Lord, right? And once you do that, the glory of the Lord shines through you and it can be seen. Isn't that beautiful? And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. Isn't that amazing text? Now the issue for Paul was trying to fight against this idea of faith in Christ, good, plus you have to believe that you can obey the Ten Commandments. Plus, you have to believe that your list is what's going to save you. Plus, you have to believe that you have to behave. You know, the Bible never says anywhere, behave on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. (laughs) It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So we all have this list of things that we are to do. If we behave, we have to be good. We can't be bad. All of that is a veil that really takes away the glory of Christ who lives within you. Paul says to this, Christ plus obey the commandments. Christ says to Christ, or Paul says to Christ plus anything. He says, no, no, no. He says, because Christ's yes, last week or two weeks ago, Christ's yes is yes to grace, yes to life, yes to salvation, yes to eternal happiness, yes to all of those things. But that yes comes from within. Though yes never comes from without, the yes comes from within. So this morning I want to do some teaching around the contrast 
between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. That which is on the exterior and that which is on the interior. And we begin with this contrast. The Old Covenant is glory on the outside. The New Covenant is glory on the inside. So here's Moses. And the guy is shining like a beacon. You know, he has just been in the presence of God. And it's so radiant that the people can't even look at him. And so he covers himself up with this veil. Now, that's all good up to that point. And then he meets with God, meets with the people, covers up with the veil. But after a while, Moses decides, I'm going to keep this veil on because everybody gives me all kinds of respect. And they give me all kinds of props. And they think, wow, look at that. He's wearing a veil. He must be so radiant. He must be so in touch with God. Even when the glory faded, even when the brilliance faded, Moses still kept his veil over to show that I'm okay. I really do know God. I love God. So that veil represents that thing which we have come to believe. Let's people believe that we know God. Instead of letting the light of Jesus shine out, we have, we have to prop up our image. We have to say, please love me. Please respect me. Please notice me. Please see the, thing, the good things that I do. And all of those are masks. All of those are veils. Paul says the old way, the laws are etched in stone. Again, nothing wrong with the laws. Please don't hear this. Don't hear that the law is bad. The law just can't be kept, <laughs> no matter how hard you try. I mean, if we changed everything and went from Ten Commandments to Six Commandments, I love you all, but you'd still fail miserably. You know, pick your top six, right? I can do those. Well, no, you can't, you know. We try so hard to do the best we can. Please notice me. Please see how well I live my life. Please see that I'm a good Christian. And God says, all of that is a veil. It's a mask. Now, 600 years before Jesus, there was a prophet by the name of Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah had a vision of what this new covenant would be. Now, remember, the new covenant came when Jesus came, the Messiah came. And so Jeremiah is prophesying almost 700 years before Christ came. He's prophesying these words. Listen to these words in Jeremiah 31. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day. Okay, say, so what's on that day? On that day when the Messiah comes, right? Think about 700 years in the future. Uh, with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord, I will put my instruction on their wrists and on their foreheads and in their book. No, 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 no. It doesn't say any of that. Those are all external things as good as they are. He said, I will put my instruction, I will put my life on their hearts. Not written on stones, but written on their hearts. The old covenant is about glory on the outside. Can I show the world that I love God by how I live? The new covenant is glory on the inside where God's life and his love and his grace and his mercy is written on our soul. I will put my instruction deep within them, Jeremiah said, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. I'm no longer now a God that is in the burning bush. I'm no longer a God that is in the sky far away. But I'm a God who is literally living inside my people. The difference between the outer life and the inner life. I had a, um, a high school sophomore English teacher. So this would have been circa 1962. I was 15 years old and I had Miss Ramsey for English. Okay, just saying the word, Miss Ramsey. How many of you had a Miss Ramsey for English when you're, okay, we all had, uh, many of us had a Miss Ramsey. And she was, 
a perfectionist. She never bothered with a husband and kids because she was busy terrifying sophomores in high school. And she was good at it. And everything had to be perfect. Every punctuation mark, every verb, every conjugation, everything had to be absolutely perfect. That's the way she lived her life. So one day, I turn in uh, this report, and she calls me up, and I think to myself, oh, no, Miss Ramsey is going to talk to me alone. You know, there's no protection. And, and so she talks to me. She said, now, Dwayne, I didn't have a problem. Your, your, your use of English is good. Your syntax, your punctuation, all of that's good. He said, I have a, she said, I have a problem with your premise. And I had written about my Christian faith. Okay, I was 15 years old, and it was something about what did we uh, uh, want to do or be or something. But anyway, I wrote about my Christian faith. And she said, I have a problem with that because it's not based on reality. She said, everything I do is based on absolute truth and absolute, absolute uh, reality. I don't deal with religion because real, religion really is a crutch for people who can't keep the rules. And she said, I keep the rules and I keep everything correct, and that's what gives me joy and happiness in my life. And I thought to myself, well, Ms. Ramsey, you might want to notify your face, you know, because I don't see any joy and happiness anywhere around you, you know, and all of us kids are absolutely terrified of you. But here's a woman who was living under the mask that she could do everything right. You know people like that, don't you? And they're usually English teachers. I mean, they, they live under this mask, they live under this veil that somehow, some way, I can make my life good enough so if there's a God or if there's not a God, I'm going to be okay. Paul says that's a mask. It's a veil. And you can never be right on the outside if you're not right on the inside. The old covenant is glory on the outside. The new covenant is glory from the inside. I have a, a I had a grandmother, Grandma Price. It was my mother's mother. <clears throat> Grandma Price was just an amazing woman. You can ask Sherry. She was just fabulous. She was born on Christmas Eve, 1898. And she died in 1995. She was 96 years old when she died. But Grandma had this persona, this inner beauty, this radiance that was unbelievable. She was never condemning. She was, you know, back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, sometimes people could be very harsh with their kids, you know, and today, of course, we let our kids do anything they want to do. But back then, you actually disciplined them. You'd slap them around a little bit, you know. But Grandma was so different. Grandma had this aura about her of the love of Jesus that was so alive in her. It was not something on the outside. It wasn't about her rule following. It was something on her inside. The old covenant is about glory on the outside. The new covenant is glory on the inside. The second contrast from the text is this. The old covenant brings death. The new covenant brings life. The old covenant is etched in stone, and it leads to death. Why? Well, let me read you a passage from Galatians, uh, Galatians chapter 3. Again, if you ever want to read uh, why Christ plus anything is heresy, read Galatians. It's Christ and Christ alone. He is all-sufficient. He is everything we need. The Old Testament, we had our sacrifices and our rules. They took the Ten Commandments. They made 612 laws from the Ten Commandments, and they made about 10,000 laws from those 612 laws so that no one had any idea what they were supposed to do at any given minute. They were always wrong, and that was the law. And the law brings what? It brings death every single time. Because the Bible says that there's not one person in this room 
Not one person in the world, not one person in the universe, if you think there are people on other planets, not one person anywhere that can be righteous. The Bible says no one is righteous, not one single person is righteous except for Jesus Christ. So this old covenant, Paul talks about that in Galatians chapter 3. And listen to what he says. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, okay, it's the old, old covenant, we were placed under guard. Isn't that, a, isn't that a beautiful phrase? It's like you've got a guard, they're holding a gun on you. Okay, and that gun is the law. <laughs> you were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Okay, protective custody, hundreds of years ago before Christ, but they were always looking towards the way, the way out, the inner light, Jesus Christ, okay? So the next paragraph. Let me put it another way, Paul says. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. Okay, the law was a guardian. So we couldn't keep the law completely, but at least we're trying to do the Ten Commandments. We're trying not to cheat on our wives. We're trying not to kill people. So it's giving us guidance, okay? That's good. That's good. We can't keep it all, but at least we're being guided until a better way comes along. And now that way of faith has come in Jesus Christ, right? We no longer need the law as our guardian. Now that word guardian, it comes from the Greek word that means literally schoolmaster or mentor. Okay, a schoolmaster. So in other words, the law is our schoolmaster. What does that mean? Well, it means two things. First of all, a schoolmaster points to the fact that you can't keep the law. I know you try. I know you're good people. Moses, I know you want to keep the glory for the rest of your life, but you're not going to do it because as soon as you're away from God for 30 minutes, we're back to the old Moses, right? So I, I know it's not going to work, you know? So the old law doesn't do it. No matter how hard you try to keep the Ten Commandments and then the 612 laws and then the 10,000 Midrash laws, I can't do it. I'm exhausted even trying to think about it. You can't do it. So schoolmaster, the law, you cannot keep it. That's Point number one. Point number two, the law as a schoolmaster is this. It points to who did keep the law, Jesus Christ. It points to the fact that you can't keep the law, but it points to the one who did, Jesus Christ. And when you allow that light to come inside of you, not around you, but inside of you, when you allow that law to come in you, then you have experienced what Paul says, freedom. Your freedom from the law, being held bondage with a gun, right? If you don't, if you break this commandment, you're going to be blown to bits. And, and, and it breaks that and it says, okay, here's one who did. And Jesus said, I will live inside of you. And therefore you will become, instead of a lawbreaker, you'll become a law keeper. Because I live within you and my light shines from within. The old covenant brings death, but the new covenant brings life. The third thing is this, the third contrast is this. The old covenant fades but the new covenant shines brightly. The imagery Paul uses is the veil of Moses. And we don't know how long this glory lasted. If it's like me, uh, sunburn lasts about a week, so it might not have been that long for, 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 for Moses. But somehow the glory lasted long enough to where people thought, man, this guy, he really is close to God. No one has seen, been as close to God as Moses. I mean, he was from here to there to the burning bush. Now, God didn't show his real glory, the Shekinah. I couldn't do that. But he did show enough of his glory to where, whoa, look at Moses. So that was good, okay? But that old covenant, that old keeping the law, that old I'm in the presence of God right now at this moment, that fades away. Why? Because God goes back to heaven. God's got things to do. 
He's got to go take care of Mars or if there's anything up there. He's got to go take, do other stuff. So God goes back and, and, and Moses says, I don't know where God is. I don't know where he went. And, and so it fades and it's no longer there. But the new covenant is not God just going off somewhere, God being busy doing something else. But as it says in Colossians, Christ in me. Christ in me, not around me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. The presence of Christ by faith, the presence of Christ in you, that radiance from inside out. Sometimes we keep our veils on, our masks, uh, because it masks our feeling of inadequacy, our shortcomings, our fading glory. We want people to believe that we've been in the presence of God, but we know all too well that so often we push God off to a side in our life and we we just simply don't care. We wear veils. We wear masks. Masks of position or knowledge. Masks of appearance. Masks of a happy family life. Outward coverings. We struggle to measure up, but we want people to think we're okay. We struggle to be sufficient, but we want people to think we're all sufficient. We struggle to be competent, but we're really incompetent, and we know it. We struggle to be accepted but we know that we are unacceptable. So we prop up our image. We wear a mask. We do religious activities. We try and let people know and see by the way we live our lives that we're okay. We behave on the Lord Jesus Christ and it just doesn't work. I recently read a poem entitled, Please Hear What I'm Not Saying. Listen to these words and see if you can identify them. Identify with them. Don't be fooled by me. Don't be fooled by the mask I wear, for I wear a mask. I wear a thousand masks, masks I'm afraid to take off. None of them are me. Pretending is an art that's second nature with me, but don't be fooled. For God's sake, don't be fooled. I give you the impression that I'm secure, that all is sunny and unruffled with me, within as well as without. That confidence is my name and coolness my game. That's the water's calm and I'm in command and that I need no one. But don't believe me. Please don't believe me. We all desire to hide behind masks of competency or acceptability. The old covenant was all about the way you looked and the way you behaved. We look at a picture in the New Testament in the temple where a man who is very religious, very educated, If anyone lived the law, if anyone perfected the law, it was him. His name was Pharisee. And he walked into the temple one Sabbath morning. All eyes were on him. His robes were amazingly beautiful. His phylacteries were hanging from his arms. He had a headdress on that was unbelievably beautiful. And he walks into the temple, stands in front of the church. He lifts up his arms and he says out loud so that all can hear, Dear God, I thank you that I'm not a sinner like these. I thank you that I'm not a Samaritan. I thank you that I'm not a woman. And I thank you that I'm not a dog the great prayer of a great man, and everybody's going, oh, the beauty of God in this man. 
I can't hardly bear to look at him because it's so shining and so real. And as he was speaking, as the words were still echoing in the temple, there was a man in the back of the church, not in the inner court, but in the outer court with his face back to the wall, didn't even have the courage to look up front in the temple. And he was there on his hands and his knees. And he simply said, Lord God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Where was the glory? Who experienced the glory of God from the inside? Was it the man who shone from the outside or the man whose heart was humble before God and recognized that my only hope is God? My only hope is God. The Jews rejected Jesus Christ because he didn't fit into their carefully constructed rules and regulations. To the Jews, the law was a mask. I will not remove it lest you see my heart. We hide ourselves, don't we? We hide our brokenness, our inadequacies, our, heart, our hurts, our sins. We hide the fact that we are crying out, please love me, please like me, please accept me. We hide behind a mask and we're afraid to come out. Years ago, when Henry Ford was building his huge automobile assembly factory in Dearborn, Michigan. He hired a man who became a friend by the name of Charlie Steinmetz to design and build the giant generators that would supply power to this plant. It's the largest uh, set of generators and motors ever built in the world at that time. The automobile factory was built. The generators were put together by Charlie Steinmetz the switch was thrown, the factory began to operate, and everything was humming along until a couple weeks later, the generators just kind of grounded to a halt. The whole operation stopped. Henry Ford set his best repairman to repair those motors and those generators, and they had no trouble, they had no luck whatsoever. Two weeks later, he called his old friend Charlie to come and fix the generators. Charlie came, puttered around for a few minutes, threw the switch, and the generators worked. And the factory went on producing cars. Charlie sent Henry Ford a bill for $10,000. Now at the turn of the century, 20th century, that would have been like equivalent to $150,000 today. Henry Ford, who was rich and also parsimonious, he was a tightwad, sent the bill back to Charlie with a note, which said something like, Charlie, isn't this bill just a little high for a few minutes of tinkering around with those generators? Charlie returned the bill with this note. For tinkering around, tinkering around with the motors and generators, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. The bill is still due. God knows where to tinker in our lives. He knows what we have come to believe about our adequacy, about our religion, about our face time with the world who we are, what we believe. We have come to believe that there are certain things that we must do in order to make ourselves right with God and right with people that look at us. But yet Jesus knows where to tinker. When he went to the cross, he took with him, please hear this, all of our sins. Not just sins in the past, but sins in the past, the present, and the future. He took with him all our sins, all of our inadequacy, all of our inability to measure up to God's standard of holiness and righteousness and sinlessness. All of our failure was nailed to that cross 
and each nail that was driven through Jesus. We must remove our masks. We must identify that beautiful, glorious light that shines within us as children of God. Those of you who have said yes to God through Jesus Christ, those of you by faith have received him as your Lord and Savior, stop wearing a mask. Stop trying to let people know that you're something that you're not and simply be. Be who you are. Allow that, like my, like my grandma Price, allow the light of Jesus to shine through you and out from you so that people will know and recognize the love of Jesus. Verse 16 in our text says this, but whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Would you bow your heads with me, please?